What I want to talk to you about today is joy. You all know that there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, not only in the world, but in your personal lives and in the life of this community. We've got people in the hospital. We've got people having financial problems. You've got Islam running rampant and slaughtering people. You've got a feckless president and administration that who knows what they're doing. So there's lots and lots of reasons not to be joyful. What I want to talk to you about is what joy is and what it's not, and why you should be joyful, and how to get there. Now, last week when I was talking about counting the Omer, anybody remember what the last thing is when you come before the Lord at Shavuot? And you shall rejoice before the Lord. It doesn't say you shall rejoice if you feel good. It doesn't say you shall rejoice if it's been a good week and a good day and the harvest has been good. It says you shall come before the Lord and rejoice. So the question becomes, how do you get commanded to rejoice? And I will suggest it's because rejoice is not an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Oh, by the way, joy is a major theme in the Bible. Shows up 389 verses. Now, some of those are enemies rejoicing over the defeat of Israel, so I figure they don't count. Okay, so you, you sort of got to back those out. But there are still lots and lots of verses in the Scripture that either command you to rejoice, or talk about rejoicing, or talk about joy. It's a major theme. It's one of the biggies. Let's go to Deuteronomy, for those of you who are following along your book, and I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 28.45. This is the curses section. All these curses shall befall you. They shall pursue you and overtake you until you are wiped out, because you did not heed the Lord your God to keep the commandments and laws that he enjoined upon you. They shall serve as signs and proofs against you and your offspring for all time. Because you would not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness over the abundance of everything, you shall have to serve in hunger and thirst, naked and lacking everything, the enemies upon whom the Lord will set loose against you. In Deuteronomy 28, it seems like the cause of all of these curses that finally fall upon Israel is lack of joy. And again, how do you command someone to be joyful. That only works if joy is not an emotion. The other thing I will suggest to you is you need to be reminded to be joyful. Because I have been talking with people for a while here, and some of you are kind of been beaten down, and I understand that. Some of you have got lives that are not going the way that you thought that they would go. I understand that. Some of you are disappointed. I understand that. And the natural thing for you to do is not be joyful. So scripture reminds you constantly, be joyful. Because again, it's not something that comes naturally in the circumstances. Now, the world tries to force you off of joy. And the question you ought to ask yourself is why? What is it about joy that the world wants you not to experience? Not to live that way. Think about that for a minute. What I will suggest to you is joy is a weapon. Joy is a weapon against the enemy. It is a weapon against your circumstances. 
And because it is such a powerful weapon, what the enemy wants you to do is get consumed in your circumstances and get focused on all of the things in your life that you're dissatisfied with, and there are lots of them. Got lots of them in my life that I'm dissatisfied with. Got lots of them in your lives that are dissatisfied with. I understand that. And so what the enemy wants you to do is get focused on the things that are wrong and lose sight of joy. Because if you do focus on joy, what winds up happening is that all the things that are going on in the world, you're still going to be unhappy, you're still going to be angry, you're still going to be grumpy, all those kinds of things are still going to happen to you, but they don't force you off your game. Because remember, I said joy is not an emotion. Now, every thought that you have comes packaged with an emotion. We are emotional beings. So you can't look out today and say, gee, the sun is shining, without having an emotion about that. How do I feel about the sun and shining? Well, if I want it to be dark so I can sleep, I'm kind of grumpy. Or it's a beautiful day and I'm feeling, wow, the sun is shining. So no matter what you think about, there's emotion associated with it. Emotions are transitory. They go up and down. Some days everything is wonderful and your emotions are going, ah, good day. Other days, uh, not so good. Other days it's Why me? So emotions are transitory. They go up and down. Joy is not transitory because joy is not an emotion. Emotions get packaged with joy, and when you recognize that you should be joyful and you become joyful, yes, there are emotions that flow from that, but the emotions flow from the joy, not the other way around. So how does the enemy or the world get you off of your joy? Well, there's two main ways. One is fear, and the other one is pride. Either fear or pride can force you out of joy, or out of the emotions that should come with joy. So, for example, you've got somebody in the hospital. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. Your stomach starts to tighten up, and you start getting focused on that, and you become afraid. The money isn't coming in like you hope it would. You're kind of worried about what you're going to be able to do at the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever it is. And uh, you get focused on that and you become afraid. Stuff happens in the news. And you look at that and you just get angry and afraid because things are not going the way they're supposed to go. That's fear. And fear can force you off of joy. The other one is pride. And that one's harder because pride is... Things aren't going the way I want them to go. And the way I want them to go is the way they're supposed to go. And when they're not going the way that I want them to go, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get angry, I'm going to start lashing out at people, and I'm going to try and get things to move in the direction I want it to go because I want it to go that way. Now, the problem with that attitude is a whole lot of the stuff that happens to you is completely beyond your control. Some of it is under your control, and you know, for things that are legitimately under your control, taking action to get things back going the way they're supposed to go is perfectly appropriate. You know, if you've got an employee that you're expecting to do something, and that employee is not doing something, then making whatever adjustments are necessary to get that employee doing what he's supposed to do, that's perfectly appropriate because you have control over that situation. But lots of stuff you have really no control over. And getting angry and prideful about those kinds of things will force you off your joy because you become consumed with them. So, 
How do you get joy? What is it? God talks a lot about it in his scripture. And I've said that it's not happiness. And I've said that everything we have comes with an emotion. Now, one of the traps that you can get into is you can get stuck in an emotion. Because emotions are really powerful. Did anybody ever say, I have a really strong thought today? Do you more often hear, I really feel strongly about that? I really feel strongly about that. Good or bad, one way or the other. So emotions have strength and intensity. Thoughts really don't. And it's the emotion that comes packed with the thought that gives that thought emotion and intensity. Okay? Because it's the emotion. Since emotions are so powerful, they become addictive. And you can get addicted both to negative emotions and positive emotions. And you know people that are addicted to negative emotions. And what that does is it leads them away from joy. And what we call that is depression. It's being addicted to a negative emotion. Now, I'm not talking temperament. Because there are some of us that are naturally sunshiny. There are some of us that are naturally quiet and reserved. We all have different temperaments, and that's okay. God made it. I mean, if we all had the same temperament, it would really be boring. So the fact that somebody is happy may not register to anybody else. Same with somebody being sad. Or you may be able to look at somebody and you know every emotion that person is experiencing because it's just going right across them. You all know people like that. So I'm not talking temperament here. But what I'm saying is emotions can be addictive. And if you confuse emotion with joy, you'll wind up in a trap. Because what will happen is your emotions will take you in negative directions, and they do, and that's perfectly normal, and it's perfectly healthy. But if it takes you off your joy and leads you into a pit, then you are addicted to a negative emotion. And it goes the other way. You, know, you have people that are always on an emotional high, nothing ever wrong, you know, smile. Ah. You have people like that too, and that's just, that's also not good. By the way, right now talking about the negative ones. How do you get out of that? The Bible gives you instructions. God gives you instructions. Thanks, praise, sure. Forgiveness. When you get bound up in a negative emotion and you can't get out of it, the way out is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. It doesn't have anything to do with whether the circumstance or the person being forgiven deserves it. It's a gift you give yourself to get yourself out of a trap. So there are biblical ways of dealing with all of these things. So let's talk about joy, and let's talk about what joy really is. We've sort of talked all around it. I will suggest to you that joy is a response to love, both in the natural and in the spiritual. And let me give you a scripture. I'm in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guided through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while it was necessary for you to have been grieved by various trials. So notice he's got rejoicing and grieving by various trials in the same sentence. 
For it is necessary for you to have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found. To result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what Peter is saying here is, you have come to a love of God, and what that does is it generates in you joy. For those of you who are married, remember back to when you were courting and you were just on the point of getting married. And forget for a minute all the hassle that goes with getting married, the dresses and the cakes and all that kind of stuff. But just remember, as you were standing there looking at your intended, just as you were married, what was the feeling that was going through you? Certainly it was happiness, all sorts of things, but primarily it was joy. And what does God say about the bridegroom rejoicing over the bride? We sing songs about that, don't we? So the idea then that you have a loving relationship with someone, the response there is joy. And as each of you came into a loving relationship with God because he first loved you, your response is joy. Now, how you express that joy varies. In my case, I wanted to know everything I could find out about this God who loved me. My response was study. Some of you have a response of singing. Some of you have a response of dancing. I mean, there's all sorts of responses to the joy that you get when you first discover that God loves you. And we're not all the same. I can't dance a lick. Wish I could, but I can't. What I can do is study. I can't play a note on the piano. I can't offer up great hymns to God. That isn't what I'm designed to do. But some of you can And as you came into the knowledge of the love of God, that joy in that love came out of you in lots and lots of different ways. The other thing to understand is, remember in this Peter passage I I read, he is talking about joy and suffering in the same sentence. Which is why I said, by the way, joy is not an emotion. Because as you go through this life, you're going to suffer. And if you're not suffering now, just wait a while, it'll come. And then the suffering will come past and you'll be happy. I mean, life has both. It has to. But joy should be consistent throughout all of that. Now, again, those of you who are married, and some of you have wonderful marriages, I do. Some of you have marriages that are not so good. So what happened that that joy that you felt initially has changed? And over the years, there are children, and there are bills to pay, and there are jobs to do, and we sort of get consumed by the stuff of daily life, and we sort of lose track of that joy. And, of course, there are occasions, anniversaries, birthdays, stuff like that, to sort of remind us of that and bring us back, one hopes. That's what they should do. But life happens as we go through it, and the joy that we felt And the emotion that comes with that joy, the emotion part of it is very hard to sustain. 
So what you need to do is you need to go back periodically and remind yourself of the joy that you felt even though things are not perhaps going the way you wanted them to go. And that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying that there is stuff you're going to go through. You're not going to be happy. You're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. You're going to be all sorts of things. And there's going to be times when you're going to be happy and you're going to, you know, I mean, it, it, it all, it's all of a piece. But as you go through that, understand that the joy is constant. And what the world is trying to do is use emotions and circumstances to force you off that joy. And you have to work to maintain your consciousness of it. I liked Catherine's prayer this morning. as She was praying. The first prayer that came out of her mouth was she was talking about the joy of the, her relationship with God. And you have to remind yourself of that. You have to remind yourself of the joy of your relationship with your family, even if they're not doing what you want them to do, which is most of the time. Remember, this goes back to pride. And you've got to remind yourself. The Bible reminds you. That's why it's in there 384 times is because we have to be reminded because the world will keep trying to force you off of it. So your circumstances should not define your joy because circumstances, to a large extent, are out of your control. When God, in his love, sent us the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit called? The Comforter. The Holy Spirit is not called the problem solver. He's not. The Holy Spirit is not called the problem solver. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Someone who comes along beside you in love and assures you that your relationship with the one who loves you is solid. And that's different than solving your problems. That's your job. You need to figure out how to solve your own problems. God will bring problems into your life to help you grow and stretch and become more mature. We've talked about that a lot. So you can expect problems. If you don't have any problems, look around. Something's wrong. In fact, one of the things that the rabbis say, with which I completely agree, that someone who has arrived at a place in the life where he puts his hands over his tummy and says, my life is good, I am very satisfied, that person has lost his way, and he's stuck somewhere. So expect that you're going to get knocked off of your happiness but don't get knocked off of your joy. Joy is also contagious. Most of you came to know the Lord through the joy of somebody else. I'm not a fire and brimstone guy. I'm a joy guy. Now, you know, fire and brimstone is there. I'm not denying its reality. I'm simply saying that's not the way you should live. And most people don't come to God out of fear. They come to God out of love. And if you come to God out of fear, what you want to do is you want to get to the place where you understand his love for you because perfect love casts out fear. So joy is contagious. Has anybody seen the video that's been put out addressed to ISIS? If you want to see it, send me a note and I will send you a link. It is wonderful. And what it is is says, we the people of the cross are going to keep coming to you in love. Oh, brother, you have blood on your hands, but there is forgiveness for that. I mean, it's longer than that, but it is really, really powerful. And it's aimed at ISIS and Islam. The message there is, we love you, you've got blood on your hands, but there's a remedy for that. 
And we're going to keep coming at you no matter how many of us you kill. The focus of this is not coming at you with weapons, but coming at you with the love of God. And we're going to keep doing that. One of the things that I have said in the past, and I completely agree with, joy and peace are two sides of the same coin. Remember we've talked a lot about fear and faith being two sides of the same coin? The spiritual mechanism that you use for fear and the spiritual mechanism you use for faith are the same mechanism. One is just directed negatively, the other one is directed positively. Joy and peace are the same way. And the way I would describe it is joy is peace in action. Peace is joy at rest. And notice that neither one of those is an emotion. It's a state of being. Are you at peace? Are you in joy? And when you're in joy, you are doing things out of a core of peace. When you're at peace, your joy is simply at rest. It isn't doing anything right now. It's just part of you. So I'll close with a scripture. And this is from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So the idea here is we have confidence for the day of judgment. I don't fear the day of judgment. I am very, very sure that I'm going to have a whole bunch of things corrected. No question in my military mind that there's going to be a whole bunch of correction that goes on. But I'm not afraid. And the reason I'm not afraid is because he loves me and I love him. And as John says, that love casts out fear. And the response to love is joy. Oh, <laughs> my